Hello and welcome to season three, episode 12 of Dualist Unity. I have never been more excited that dualistic unity is a thing that exists. And I completely agree with that. I can feel the change almost daily. I'm so excited to recognize on a regular basis that I am not Ray. I am just a drop in this collective wave. That is also me and you and everyone else. So it's definitely an exciting time. It gives you, it gives you goosebumps. As Andrew was saying, just before we had this conversation, he was watching a documentary from about 10, 12 years ago called Zeitgeist. And we were just having a conversation about how a lot of the concepts that they're talking about there, specifically that society can change, that we can change, that we can see something deeper in these old religious symbolisms and these old stories and our old way of living and our, our particularly our economic system. We can change all that. It is within our power, but we need to take it upon ourselves, which means that we need to first start by taking our lives upon ourselves and take responsibility for what we do with each and every moment as we exist in our life. So if we can do that, everything else starts to fall in line afterwards. And that's really the focus of dualistic unity. It's the focus of this podcast, this conversation, my life as a whole, and the content of everybody who is currently involved in this episode. So before I continue to ramble, I'm going to say very quickly that we have a very special guest on our episode today. He was our first guest on Dualistic Unity almost 11 months ago. So it's almost been a year because uh, we are coming up on our one year anniversary of the show itself. But before I introduce him, I do want to make just a quick few announcements because, of course, it's important to do so. The first is that we are holding a new contest. If you go to dualisticunity.com or if you visit us on Discord, you will see a link to a new contest where you can submit your favorite dualistic unity quote, and it will go for a vote for which five quotes are the most popular. So you submit your quote, let us know which episode it's in, which season it's in, give us your name, your information so we can contact you. And then at the end of October, all the community members will have a chance to vote on which quotes that they like the most. And the top five will get a prize. And that prize will be anything from a dualistic unity hoodie to a t-shirt to a tote bag. We'll figure it out. We'll even ask what size you wear and what color you prefer before we send all this out to you, of course. But the contest is absolutely free. You can find the details on our website. If you have any questions, of course, just contact us through social media or Discord. The second announcement is, as always, the retreat is coming up in November. We just contacted everybody about the menu. So everybody who is currently a ticket holder can find an email in their inbox with a link to a form. So that way our chef can figure out what it is you're going to enjoy the most, and what meals we're going to have throughout the week. So if you haven't bought a ticket yet, this is the perfect time. We are also finalizing the details for the bus that will pick us up from Nanaimo Airport on the first day and drop us off back at Nanaimo Airport on the last day. So that's it for the announcements. I will stop rambling now and we will get to our guest, Eric. Eric Abrams, uh, he was on episode five, I believe, of season one. It's been a long time since we've connected, Eric. So rather than give you a long intro and explain to everybody uh, what you do and, and, and where you come from. How about you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and of course, what you're doing on social media? Yeah, well, the first time that we did this podcast, I was in New York and now I'm in Miami. So things have changed a little bit. At the start of the year, I moved to Miami because New York was a bit crazy and I spent my whole life there. I grew up in the city. So I felt like I had to get away from that. I uh, met some awesome people out here in Miami and I have my nutrition bar company, which that's like the main thing that I kind of do, I guess, uh, Ambient Nutrition, and then Infinite Seeking, which is where, you know, we have come across each other and talk about everything from existence to, you know, we are not what we think we are to just the, just the whole experience. Um, so I guess that's a little bit about, about myself. 
Well, I just want to say quickly, I'm excited to have you back. It's been a while since we chatted. And I know the last time we had this conversation, Andrew and I were just starting to get to know each other. We were just starting the podcast. And so I was just incredibly impressed at the conversation that we did have. And I do watch your content whenever I find time on Instagram or TikTok, because I enjoy the things that you have to say. But what I've noticed is in the last year, and I think this might be because of the move, because of your nutrition bar business, because of all of the things that you are ambitiously tackling, you seem to be embodying the insights more than just talking about them. It seems like you've absorbed more of what you were saying. And so it's coming out through your actions more that you seem to doubt yourself less. You seem to be less hesitant to uh, be vulnerable with your audience. Like I've, I've noticed a few of your videos where you're just like, I'm going through some shit. Let's just talk about it because I know you are too. And that's a huge step because a lot of people, they live on the conceptual side of this. They live in the philosophy. They'll, they'll tell you all the right words, but they don't practice it. They don't see it. And they don't really want to because it's just a means to a paycheck. Watching you, I can see how it's changing your life. There's been a few videos where you've had your dad with you, for example. And I can see the direct impact that the wisdom of your father's years is having on you, not because of your dad, but because you're in a mentality where you can take that in. You're actually receptive to it. You have a slow mind, as my Sifu used to say, and that's not an insult. It just means that you're taking it in and absorbing it for everything you can. That says volumes about you as a person, and it really does dictate the trajectory of your journey. So I'm very excited to have you back on the show. I'm going to pass this back to Andrew, but I just wanted to say, welcome back. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I resonate with your stuff a ton, Eric, and I don't think we're too different in, you know, journeys and, and sort of recognitions that we've had and just figuring out, you know, the balance of everything between recognizing things that we do and like being in a world that has social media as well and like trying to grow it, but also not caring if it grows or not worrying about it growing, but also like finding all that balance. And I know we were able to meet in person when you we were back in New York. And I think we went on like maybe like close to four like hour a, walk, like three, four hour walk around the whole city. We talked about everything. Yeah, that was, it was awesome. It just goes to show like uh, it, it solidified to me just how much I enjoy talking about this stuff, especially when I come across people who resonate with it and, and can talk about it and who are willing to talk about it. And as much as, you know, we talked about interesting concepts. A lot of it was just shit we were going through and, and how much overlap we saw in the things that we dealt with and, and finding balance in things. And even myself, more recently, it's funny that Ray's noticed that in your content, I felt myself sort of every, I don't know, couple months, I get feel like I get kind of trapped myself in a sort of structural prison and then it gets overwhelming and then I have to let it go. And then there's like a, another experience to be had post that and letting go of of any sort of structure or any sort of self-created prison that almost seems like someone else is creating it because we feel like people expect things from us but then we realize that it's only ever ourselves expecting anything from us because everyone else just exists inside of our mind so any expectation that we see from someone else is just an expectation that we have for ourselves literally from ourselves but also figuratively from our our idea of ourselves as well, almost. So yeah, I, I love to see it, man. And it, it's cool to see. Have you, so I know Ray obviously mentioned that he's noticed that you're seem to be embodying more of, of what you have come to recognize probably through just like everything you've learned over the past, you know, four years. But I think there's like a, almost a distillation process that I've experienced in my life where it's like, 
yeah, you know, I, I was posting for over a year before I recognized anything that wasn't conceptual and anything about myself and sort of let go of that idea of myself. So I think there's always some process with that. Have you felt a little bit more, I don't know, freedom or, or have you, have you recognized in yourself that you feel like you've been embodying more just with your day to day and letting go of, of needing to follow anything and just kind of following where your intuition takes you, I guess. I think I've definitely been more honest and transparent with my audience, which is like when I initially started making content, I found all these ideas so interesting and fascinating and I just wanted to talk about them, but I was like distancing myself and my personal life from things I was talking about. And I feel like a lot of people thought that I had like figured things out, that I've perfected some things that, you know, they thought I was just preaching, that I was a teacher, that I understood all these things that I, and that I wasn't going through it. And so like there, there, there was definitely a period of time where I feel like I went through imposter syndrome, where I felt like I was saying all these things, but then I would get these moments alone. And I'd be like, wait, like, what the hell? Like, I'm, I feel so attached to my thoughts right now. I feel so overwhelmed. And yet I'm speaking about how you get through these things. And yet I'm not, I'm not walking the talk. Um, and then I feel like just having more conversations about it is almost healing and that you don't have to necessarily figure it out, but just be honest with yourself that you don't have to have it figured out. And like, that's where the release comes from. And, you know, I, I would always be very tough on myself and expect a lot from myself. And then it's like, okay, I feel like I'm putting the pressure on myself to become someone and not just accept that there's no one that I have to become. And that once I begin the process of accepting, then everything, then all the wheels start turning and then things kind of figure themselves out on their own when I'm not actively trying to figure them out, but rather when I'm just living, listening to my intuition, not taking things too seriously, putting things in perspective, reminding myself of, of death and just all these things that can, you know, just be like, okay, take a deep breath, chill. You don't have to, like, there's nothing you should or shouldn't be doing, should or shouldn't be feeling that there are all these labels, all these constructs, you know, I'll, I'll find myself scrolling on social media and comparing myself to other people being like, I'm talking about some of these things. Like, why don't I have more followers? Why, uh, why are more people not engaged? Why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? And it's just so easy to, to find con conflict and, and guilt and to just be completely self-absorbed when it's like, there's an amazing, beautiful experience that it's always happening right now. And, you know, life can go by like that and you just miss it. So um, I would say that like, yes, I I probably am embodying it more. I don't know if I necessarily thought of it like that because I still feel like I've, I've had my struggles and uh, there's still times when I feel like I want to escape from just, just everything, honestly, because it can be very, very overwhelming. And, and I'll see people even, even sometimes talking about the things that I like talking about sometimes in a weird way that is like, I'm like, I, I just don't even want to talk about that. Like, I, I don't even want to talk about the experience. I just want to live it. Like, I just want to have it. And it's like, especially on TikTok now, I think a lot of people want to have a positive effect, but I feel like there's almost like a toxic positivity that is kind of spreading. That is like making it so people can't experience quote unquote ne negative emotions and feelings. Um, and that can make it really difficult for people who are going through that to just be like, you know, just, you know, be a man, just do this, just do that. And it's like, I feel like it's difficult for a lot of people, even for the people who don't voice it.
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that if there is a difference that I've noticed in you, it's that you're more grounded. It seems less conceptual and it seems more like it's been applied, which is the only way to really take it in. It's going through the stress. It's going through the uncertainty. It's feeling like an imposter. It's going through all of that stuff that really teaches you, oh, right. They're not just things to memorize. They're not just bumper stickers, <laughs> right? Like, I actually have to apply some of this stuff. And then when you do, you start to recognize, oh, this is the real deal. This is the shit. Whereas most people at first, they'll have an idea like, oh, I got to get out of my pain. And they'll immediately envision some like berobed monk or something like that who doesn't ever like frown or have an unhappy thought. And so they'll try to achieve that. They'll try and find that. But that's not the real deal, right? It's not that that's not helpful to you, but you can't walk around in your day-to-day -day life and go to work as a berobed monk. It's very difficult to do that, right? And you shouldn't at the end of the day, because if you were to take that monk out of his monastery and put him in the streets, give him a day job, make him pay taxes and give him a family, all that stuff, he'd find it a lot harder to be as calm as he is. And it's because the concepts, the calm, the, the idea of enlightenment, all of that, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. What it really just comes down to is being in reality without some idea of what you should be doing and just doing the best that you can. And I find that that's exactly what you're doing. I find that's exactly what's coming across, even in this conversation right here. You're saying like, yeah, that's all great. But it wasn't until I started seeing it in myself that I was able to actually see where the lessons were going because they sound really good on their surface, right? But once you see them, it changes tone. Like when, well, here's a perfect example. So a message that I often get here on Dualistic Unity is from people saying, I love everything that you're saying, but you keep insisting that we're all one. Don't you think that that belief is just making me making you feel better that it's adding a degree of certainty that it's a fiction and my response is always oh i don't believe we're all one i wouldn't even encourage you to think that we're all one i would just encourage you to continue down the path where you question what you think you are because the more you do that the more you recognize right division's just in my head so you start to see that it's all one but it's not something that makes you feel better it's not something that adds certainty if anything it takes away certainty. It takes away the possibility of certainty because you're so vast. And that's when you start taking it seriously. That's when you start actually watching your choices and watching your decisions and watching all of your perspectives because you, you can see it comes back to you. But if somebody were to go about saying, oh, we're all one, I don't have to think about anything. They're just gonna pursue their ego, egotistical desires and fears. They're just gonna do the same stuff with a different justification. And this is what often happens. It's why we have priests who are pedophiles. Absolutely. And I would almost say that if you were to believe your own, that we're all one, that that's, if anything, it's terrifying because then it's like, you're not the idea that you have of yourself. You're not, you know, this unique person, but that you are just everything that you're experiencing. Like that's too much to grapple with. Like that's just the infinite possibilities, which if, if anything can probably cause a lot of anxiety can be overwhelming. So the people that use it to make it feel better probably just use it as a justification to not take on responsibility or accountability for their life. And so that's like a comfort mechanism of just being like, ah, it's almost like nihilistic, you know, everything's one, da, 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 da. Let me just do nothing about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why it's so important that we so often talk about empathy as well. And like, Ray, it was interesting the way you put that, that people shouldn't believe that this is all one. And because it just becomes another belief and it's not an actual experience, but it's only through letting go of the idea of yourself that you see that there are no bounds to you. And therefore 
there are no bounds. And it's like, what else could you possibly be? But if you just jump to not, you know, going within whatsoever and just believing in the concept of oneness, it's going to lead to nihilism, destruction without that empathy that comes from like almost going through it from within and out instead of out and, and in believing like I am one with everything. Cause it's like, there's still you, there's still like Andrew is one and Andrew recognizes that it's all one. It's like, no, there's no Andrew. And therefore it's all one. And in that you're able to see yourself in everyone and everything. And that's what it comes to. But again, it can't be a belief like with everything. And I wanted to real quick, go back to the uh, just having to be yourself because I get caught up in that from time to time and, and thinking about certain situation coming into a certain thing with an idea of myself or, or any type of situation where I have to go and talk to people or, you know, come on a podcast or even from time to time on dual security, I'll come on and like, you know, kind of wonder like, Oh, am I going to be on? Am I going to be on today? And that's the funniest part is because there is no on to be that isn't me. Like if I come on and I'm off or whatever, I go on something and I don't articulate everything incredibly well, that's just me being me in the moment. But it's funny how, as you let go more and more of believing you have to be on, it's like everything just sort of flows because you're no longer cutting yourself off from the flow through believing that you have to be something. And when it's like, oh, I don't have to be anything other than what I am in every single moment. And that's not an idea. That's not a concept. There is nothing you ever have to live up to. There's nothing you ever have to become other than what you are. And it's not, you know, striving to go without and, and grab all of these things outside of you. It's just recognizing the truth of what you already are. And in that, there is no wrong, no matter what actions are taken. But as you let go of there being something, those actions become a lot more fluid through the letting go of that. It's usually when we, when we get caught up in certain things, it's because we're cutting ourselves off from the flow, thinking we have this idea of ourselves. So yeah, I remind myself of that all the time. Oh, I don't have to be anything other than what I am. No ideas. Yeah. And considering our audience, and I don't just mean dualistic unity, but Eric's audience as well, they would all understand. It's funny that we build this up in our head, like, oh, if I'm off one day, everybody's just going to abandon me. But they're not because they've been following you for a reason. They're following your journey. If anything, they want to see you stumble. If anything, they want to see you struggle from time to time, just to remind them that they don't have to live up to this idea that they have of you, because that is often the case. People will build an idea of you in the same way that we build an idea of ourselves, especially when we first start on this, especially when we start memorizing the authors and we start writing down quotes and sharing all that shit. Like we immediately get this idea like, yeah, I'm getting this. All you other people aren't. Let me teach you. That doesn't work. You have to get rid of the teacher. You have to in order to be enough of a student to learn from the people you're talking to. That's the only way to help them. Is this something that you've noticed in your in your one on one sessions that the, the less you try to be something, the more helpful you are? Yeah, I mean, it makes you seem more real, like it makes you seem relatable, like you can resonate more with a person when they're not like an ideal and when like they're not only their best performances or the best things they've ever said all in one. Like if you take the videos that maybe got the most views, you put that all together and then you have this ideal version of you and you think you always have to, you know, be at that at that level when that's just not the reality. And um, 
when I was, I guess, uh, like 30 minutes before this podcast, I was like, all right, I should get ready for this podcast. Right. And then I was like, I stopped for a second. I was like, what does that mean? Like, how am I going to get ready? I'm, I'm always ready. Like there's never a point when I'm not ready. There's nothing that I have to rehearse, but then it's like, okay, maybe they're expecting this from me. Maybe they're expecting that from me. Like, do I come in with like a, with like a really insightful quote or, or something like some grand realization or, but then it's like, wait a minute. Like, I just have to, I just have to show up and then the rest happens. And that's that, that's that flow that just comes from not trying to be you, but just witnessing that you are you. And that like, there's nothing that you have to do in order for that to happen. And if anything, when you start to do, you start to think, and then you start to get in that, that character mindset of, oh, this is the thing, you know, this is what I think this character would say based off the expectations they have of me. And then like, that's just a whole cycle that you're just not, you're just not going to get out of that without feeling like more overwhelmed, more anxious, you just, you know, just be grounded, be present and let the rest happen. Let it come. Now that's interesting. I'm just going to toss this in here quickly because it was a conversation I was having yesterday with somebody who was saying, I like to be prepared before I go into something. If I'm nervous about it, I like to prepare. I like to know as many things as I can about what's going to happen. And my response was that just reinforces your fear. And they didn't understand. They're like, what? How does that reinforce my fear? It's because there's always more details you can't see. There's always more things that you may not have considered. There's always variables that you may not account for. And if you're so determined that to, to feel better, you must account for all those variables. You're always going to be afraid. You're always going to be anxious. And the response was, well, what's the alternative? I'm like, faith in yourself. Understanding you've never been totally certain. Up until this point, you're still here. You're doing better than you might think you are. Right. Understand you've always adapted. You've always done the best you could, which doesn't mean don't prepare, but it does mean that there's a certain line where preparation actually becomes toxic. It actually starts to take you out of the situation that you're in. I just wanted to toss that in quickly because it's totally relevant to what you're saying that the more that you can just be who you are, the better off you are for everybody. And the more that people can accept that you are not the idea they have of you, the more they're going to get out of you. Yeah. Cause I feel too like, everyone always just wants to see themselves in you, in anyone, really. Like that's, that's what it comes at. Whether we know that, you know, I am you, whether they recognize that or not, they just want to see themselves in you. And that's what allows them to resonate is, is that's what it comes from. And, and speaking of one-on-ones, like when people talk about self, I so often start things off with like, I totally resonate with you. I've been through maybe not, you know, the exact situation, but this, which is very similar, dealt with the same types of emotions, blah, 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 blah. This is how I handled it. This is what I thought about, like not giving you necessarily advice, but this is something you can potentially think about. And, and when, because everyone always just wants to see themselves in, in other people, when we hold on to idea of ourselves that we're not allowing them to see themselves in us because we're not allowing ourselves to be expressed. We're trying to filter it through a concept, through an idea that doesn't actually exist. Like the idea I have of myself of what performance or, or whatever someone I think someone has an idea of me is, is never what it is. You know, we're never what we think we are literally never what we think we are. And those thoughts are just thoughts. They're, they're never actually reality. And, and any ideas that we ever hold on to cut us off from the flow and take us further from what we're trying to do. Like what we're trying to do at the end of the day is, you know, relate to people or I don't even like saying trying to do because it's not necessarily a trying to do, but if we have like 
an end goal of, of really just being able to freely express ourselves. We want to be free. When you hold on to an idea, when you hold on to a concept, when you think you have to be something for anyone, including yourself, you're in a prison. You're not free. So in order to be free, you have to let go of the ideas, of those false sense of certainty, of like the person was saying, they, they always want to you know, prepare and, and figure out as much as they possibly can. They're imprisoning themselves. They want to be free. They want to be able to act in a way that is free, and they're creating a prison while they're trying to do that, not really fully recognizing it, that every idea we hold on to is just another prison. That's 100% true. And I think a lot of times for people, it's not just that they want to be that idea, but that they want to be that idea so that other people don't question who they are. And so it's like they want to keep that image alive in the eyes of other people and not and not so much for themselves because most people are living through other people. And so it's not even really about them. It's more about how they're being perceived. And that's why, like, when people go out in public, they'll just try to fit in. Like, they just want to fit in. They don't want to stand out whatsoever because they don't want to be seen as like something else. So I think a lot of it is like belonging to that. Like there's a, there's a comfort, there's a comfort that people, that people find in that. And that like, you can even just feel it in, in certain environments. Um, but, you know, I think a, a, a lot of times too, like people want to just coming back to being, prepared and like knowing what to say and all of that people don't want to be empty-handed like they don't want to feel like there's nothing more to say or that there's no more material like they're like what do I do then and it's like that's where the flow comes into play that's where the creative expression comes into play like that's where like the truest you lives it lives in not knowing what is going to come next and like that's the beauty of what actually does come next because it's organically being formed in that moment and you can't really listen to what, you know, the people that you're talking to, if, if you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Um, and uh, I was listening to some audio book by, I think Carl Rogers talking about active listening and how like most people don't understand like the power of listening and how actually it's not just for you, but it's for the other person that like, listening is healing like listening is is accepting like listening is allowing that person to to fully be who they are um because we we usually listen with judgment we listen with an idea in mind we listen with like all of these caveats to just purely listening well said absolutely and unfortunately a lot of the times we have those requirements we have that expectation because of the idea we're holding on to of ourselves right like give an example <laughs> Andrew has actually been watching me go back and forth with this gentleman on uh, Instagram. But the idea that when it comes to, say, self-help or when it comes to self-knowledge or it comes to psychedelics or, or, or uh, God or anything like that, that's all a path that one has to take within. That's all a path that one has to learn from reality itself. But often, especially when we're defining ourselves and when we're trying to fit into a capitalistic society, the only thing that we're really looking for is a label so we can fit in and find out what our groove is and where we're, where we're going to make our income. And so because I never say, you know, what my educational background was, because I never promote any of the stuff that I've ever gone through in my life as being the reason I think the way I do, I always get questioned 
when it comes to that. And Andrew is facing that same thing here because of his age. And so we had this comment on Instagram from somebody who's like, oh, so you read a couple of books and you got a selfie stick. So you're a guru now. And what I thought was funny about that, because it was completely derisive from the start, but the guy who left it is a, psych a psychedelic consultant. His business is actually to try and help people find themselves. And so when I started talking to him, his immediate thing was, oh, you know, I'm educated. I've been to school. I've done all this. What have you done? And it's like, okay, but going to school doesn't educate you about self-knowledge. It teaches you concepts, sure. But he, the entire purpose of him going to school was for that label. So he could call himself this and judge, judge everybody else who didn't meet that requirement. And then he doesn't have to question anymore. He doesn't have to look within himself anymore because he's, he's done the schooling, he's educated, right? And I've seen the same thing when it comes to priests and seminary, when it comes to religion as a whole. Oh, I took religious studies. Yeah, what does that have to do with God? Like all you've really done is studied how people have avoided talking to God themselves. That's religion in a nutshell, right? But you're very good at it and you have a certificate. It doesn't say anything about self-awareness, but in our culture, it's that label. It's that label that people look for. It's the letters after the name. They, they don't think to themselves, right, education is not self-awareness because they're very different things. And that's when you start to realize, ah, oh, I can't just trust the labels because half the people who are, who are leaning on those labels are shysters. They're snake oil salesmen at the end of the day, right? So you actually have to start looking at the relationships you have. You actually have to start looking at the people that you know and that you meet and stop making assumptions about them. You have to take the lessons for yourself. But until you are responsible enough to do that, you just look for the labels. And the people who lean on those labels are happy to take advantage of you. But they're so easy to frustrate and they're so easy to shake because the knowledge isn't theirs. It has nothing to do with their own journey. It has everything to do with how they want to feel about themselves and how they, how they want you to perceive them. And that's it. It's purely superficial. And what's so interesting is that self-awareness and education usually are like opposites that like so many people who are educated are not self-aware and so many people who are self-aware, they're educated, but not in the institutionalized sense, you know, like maybe they don't have a degree, maybe they don't have PhD before their name or whatever credentials they are. And, and, and it's something that definitely kind of pisses me off and frustrates me too, because A, people will give blind trust to people because of those titles or, or names, which is obviously a recipe for deception and, and manipulation. And our society is kind of built on that. And then for people who are actually trying to help people who actually have their well-being in mind, they won't listen to them whatsoever whatsoever it, it doesn't matter what they say it's like they they can't even be open to it just because someone someone is speaking about science or this or that and and they don't have the background to to validate it's like what they're saying should validate it it's like what 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 you decide to do after what they say should validate it. like your own questioning like your own critical thinking like being an individual yourself it's not like trust this person or trust this person it's like, how about you learn to just listen, to just be open, to be receptive, and then do what you want with that. Because obviously the choice is yours. I, I don't think you should blindly trust anyone, you know, whether it's God or some person with a PhD or someone on the street, like it, could, it could be anyone. Listen to what they have to say, because everyone has something that you can probably learn from. Everyone can be a teacher to some degree, if you allow it, you know, because most people are just holding up a mirror anyway, like they're just showing you the reflection you know, a lot of your behavior 
you know, will be shown in how you behave with other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was super, super well said. And I'm curious for both of you, do you think everything that we fear and every, almost pretty much everything that dictates all of our actions in society come down to a fear of uncertainty? Like, could it be that almost everything boils down to that? Like even what we're just talking about, like the label that someone has on their name, like it gives them some false sense of certainty that, oh, this person knows what they're talking about or looking at religion, you know, oh, it gives you a false sense of certainty of what happens after you die. You know, if you do this, you get this, if you do this, you, you don't get this and you go there, you know, looking at wanting to believe everything that big daddy government tells you. It gives you this false sense of certainty that you can you can trust that person of power. You can trust that authority because as soon as you start questioning a little bit and have a little bit of uncertainty, all of a sudden the whole fucking thing unravels and you no longer have that false sense of certainty that gives you that false sense of comfort. And it goes into every single thing that we do. And that's why people are so quick to like lunge at you and yell at you and call you disrespectful when you question those things that everyone utilizes to give themselves that false sense of certainty, especially the ones that give you the things, a sense of false sense of certainty about the scariest things that we deal with, you know, death, what the, the powers that be are telling you, the, the narratives that they're pushing. And if you begin to question a little bit of it, it doesn't take much to unravel like religion is not a very difficult thing to, to question and unravel like super fucking quick. You just have to ask a couple little questions and it's like the whole thing comes tumbling down. But people are so afraid of I think it really comes down to a fear of death for the most part that people want to believe that and a, a false sense of certainty for the actions that they take in this life that, oh, I can just follow these rules and everything will be be okay. And the other aspect of that is that it cuts them off from needing to have that awareness. Like Eric was just saying about listening, attentively listening, actively listening. You don't have to do that as much. We can just follow a rule book. Like, oh, you know, I, I went to this person that has this label, like I should be good, but you're not after because you're not actually there with them. You're just seeing them as this thing that gives you a false sense of certainty about feeling better, about getting better. You know, you go to church, who the fuck even listens in church? I never did until I stopped believing any of it. And I'll go for fun sometimes just to see if the homilies says something halfway decent or just to pick it apart left and right. That's the only reason I go now, but I'm way more attentive than I was for the first you know, 20 years of my life. That's for sure. But so anyway, after all that, my initial question, do you think almost everything that we Every action that we take, and especially when we put faith in, you know, false sense of certainty is just our deep rooted fear of uncertainty is what almost everything comes down to. And if not, I'm curious if there are things that you thought of while I was saying that, that maybe don't boil down to desiring this sense of certainty in, in almost everything that we do. The first thing I was going to say, which came from something you were ta um, talking about in terms of people wanting to be certain is that I don't think people just want to be certain. They want other people to be certain for them. Like they want their sense of certainty to come from other people without them even like figuring that out. And then the other thing I would say in terms of just the fear of uncertainty is that I, I think that deep down, we're all just terrified that we don't know a damn thing about anything about, about, about pretty much 
anything, that, that, that we can't be certain about anything, that, that we're not really capable of knowing. And so that everything we're doing, all of society, all of technology, even these conversations, you could argue, is to give us some sense of comfort that, that we do know maybe something or that we can try to maybe figure something out. Like, I think all of it gives us some sense of comfort. I think all of our lives is to distract us from the inevitable thing. And I don't think this is nihilistic. I think it can be freeing. I think that sometimes when I speak about these things, people think it's nihilistic. Then they're like, what's the point? You know, why do anything at all? And it's like that, that, that's not, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm getting at. That's not what I'm proposing. I'm not proposing that we shouldn't live or that we shouldn't try to make the most of things. I'm just saying that if you really dig deep, that you can live life in a way that, that just maybe is more true to you, that isn't attached to all of these labels and, and, and titles and, and names and should do this and should do that. And all these things that actually cause a lot more suffering. It's like, we think we need them in order to operate, that we need them in order to live and participate in this existence. When if anything, they kind of inhibit our ability to actually just exist, which is one of the most freeing things, but, you know, just to come back to what I was saying. Yeah. I, I just think that we're all terrified, like all these names and star seeds and this and the sun and the moon, like all of these things people talk about, I see them and I'm just like, what, like, what is going on? This is like mass psychosis. Like people are really, are really that lost that they'll create any sort of story or myth to make themselves feel better about the fact that, yeah, we just don't know why we're here. And I think that's okay. That was well said. I, I would say that there's a degree of sanity that we are in fact avoiding. I just want to share a quick story here because it kind of goes back to what Andrew was saying that so a few times this has happened where I've had coaching clients who, upon coming in for coaching, just would sit there going, yep, 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 I know, yep, absolutely, yep, I do that all the time, sure, and they would never apply anything, but they would com come in for coaching consistently, they would just never take it in, and the reason was because why did they have to, they were coming in for coaching, the work was already done, right, I'm, I'm coming in for coaching, that's all I need to do. And, and that was the point was, is that you're going to do the work for me, aren't you? So I'm just going to come in here and you're going to change me. And the problem is you have a shit ton of egotistical uh, modality providers that are happy to feel like they're changing you, that are happy to take the credit for changing your life. And those are the ones you should watch out for because they're running from the ego. They really are doing it for their own interest. So it's important to recognize that, yeah, some people, they just want to say they're changing and that's enough. It doesn't matter if they go through the same consequences over and over and over again, as long as they feel like they're changing, as long as they feel like they're on a path, that's enough. It takes a while for them to recognize that the feeling doesn't necessarily indicate reality and that the suffering's going to come back full circle eventually. And that's often where coaching clients will come to me and say, I've tried everything. I've gone to therapists. I've done all this stuff and nothing's working. It's like, right. Have you tried responsibility? And so this goes back to Andrew's question that to some degree, I, I do agree that it is uncertainty that drives the majority of our culture, for sure. But that uncertainty ties back to our, our wanting to avoid responsibility. Like Eric was saying, we want other people to be certain for us. And that comes back to responsibility, too. I just want to look at somebody and go, what's the answer? Oh, that's the answer. Sweet. And now I'll just run along with that. And this is why I often said that there are two types of people in the world. People who go, I have a problem. Who can solve this for me? Or I have a problem. How am I going to figure this out? And it's because one is responsible and the other one expects somebody to be there 
to carry the to carry the weight for them. And so that ties back to an even an even deeper motivation. And we don't talk about this too often, but it really is the cornerstone to everything, or at least in my experience, isolation. We don't want to be alone as the core of our reality. We don't want to be God. We don't want to be unity. We want to perceive ourselves as separate. We want to perceive ourselves as among a group. We want to perceive division so that way we can limit what we see ourselves as. So that way we're, we're not responsible for everything. We don't have to be so aware of everything we do. We can just rely on our neighbor and look for their answers because it's not on us, certainly. Look at all these people around. They're, they're not all taking responsibility. Why should I? And that's where the majority of our emotional spectrum comes from in terms of duality, whether it be the, the joy of being alone or the fear of being alone. It all comes back to the reality, the actual sane reality that, of course, you're alone, your reality. And it doesn't matter that other people are so different. They're you. You are that vast. But we avoid that. We would prefer to invest in the idea of people being separate. We would prefer to invest in the idea of governments being responsible for us or religion having the answer to where God is. We'd prefer for it not to be on us. And so we've built an entire culture around putting the weight on other people and ignoring the responsibility ourselves. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote. I forget who said it, but it, it goes something like, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure, something along those lines. And I, I find that to be so true that we, we so often in, in wanting to not be alone or, or not be left, it... I feel like part of that, do you think part of that in our current society is evolutionary response to, you know, a tribal mentality like that, that we are as humans kind of innately tribal and, and, you know, back in the day, if, if we weren't accepted by the, by the group, we we're basically, you know, foisted out to die and, and left alone and ostracized and all of that. So we really do just want to fit in and want to blend in, like Eric, you were saying before, and. I find it fascinating because although maybe that is left over, it's no longer the case, but we still fear it. And I think that's why so, our society is one of our biggest cares is what other people think of us. Like that's so common and, and so deeply intertwined with things. And it goes from, you know, what kind of car we drive, what kind of house we have. We want people to, you know, we want to show other people that, that it's great to herd mentality, to, this narrative being pushed by, you know, powers that be, whatever it may be, and then society latching onto it or, or parts of society. And then those who question it are like called crazy or conspiracy theorists or whatever. You can pretty much like plug and play into a ton of different situations throughout society. But yeah, so much of it <clears throat> comes back to that fear of of being alone, but it also stems from the confusion about what we are, of, of believing that ideas ideas are truths and they never have been but there's so many ways that those ideas have infiltrated our society and, and we just take it at face value like you know going back to religion because i i love shitting on religion it's so easy to just plug in like oh this could be true you know you can't disprove it it's like well I, since when did that become an argument that's utilized in a debate, you can't disprove it. It's like, okay, Spider-Man could be God too. 
can't disprove it. Spider-Man could be up in the sky with a bunch of other Spider-Man. And there could be thousands of Spider-Men just up above something we can't see. Oh, you can never see him. You can't disprove it. It's like, okay, but like, what are we really getting down? Let's get down to it here. And, and with believing those ideas to be the truth, it's like, you know, we need our mind. We need our imagination to believe those things to be the truth, to believe in something outside of here and now. We need our mind. And that idea of ourself is the only place that our mind lives. And that idea that can be built up or torn down, that power we strive for, that power really only is a concept. The power that we have, you know, the, the egotistical power is what I'm referring to, that we have really only exists in the minds of others. They see us in a certain way. We see ourselves in a certain way. So if that's what so much of our society is, is striving for is ideas like we're really all existing in fictions. We're, we're utilizing fictions to create ourselves, to create this narrative, to create the society that's perpetuated based on other narratives. And I think that's why it's so easy to manipulate the masses because all you need is an idea. You just need to plug a little idea into the societal mind and all of a sudden reality changes. Reality begins to easily shift, but same time, not to be all pessimistic the whole time, there's shifts that can happen. You know, another idea can get plugged in. Maybe that all of the ideas are never the truth. Ideas are never truth. You are never what you think you are. Ideas like that, as those get to, you know, get infiltrated throughout the societal mind, throughout the, the societal self, I guess that gets pushed as well. And that creates ripples and that creates shifts. And, you know, letting go of those ideas as being truth and recognizing that here now is all there is. And you are only ever here now. You're not an idea. As you let go of that, people start to recognize that, oh, I'm not suffering as much. Oh, I feel a lot more free. Oh, I don't have to hold on to all these things that perpetuate all of my suffering. I can let go of all of them. And that's okay. Like everything is uncertain and it's perfectly okay. Like that's the only shift is that everything is uncertain and that's scary to everything is uncertain and that's okay. And I'll be okay because I'm getting clearer about the truth of what I am. And I'm not something that can be built up or brought down. It's super funny. Everything's uncertain and I'm certain I'm going to fail. There's a, there's a lot to go off what you just said. Cause I was like, I was like, wow, this is a, this is a lot. Um, and one thing that I'll say is that it, it's kind of like, there's a, there's a, a mass perception. And so like, then people will say like, that's just reality. And it's almost like people don't want to take on the power to be their own perceiver. Um, and a lot of that work has to happen from, from being alone to be able to, you know, see for yourself to say, you know, I'm being told this, but you know, why don't I see if this is, if this is the, the truth of this, instead of just adopting a belief system, um, adopting an idea and then living through those ideas that I've been given from my parents or from school, from this system or that system. And, that, and that's why you get, you know, this collective mind that kind of just plagues the world and, you know, like being alone. Cause like I, I've gone back and forth, the idea of, of being alone. Like first I talked about it completely. And now it's like, I think it's about how you interpret being alone. Because a lot of people see it as I'm alone, I'm lonely, I'm alone, I'm by myself, you know, no one's there, uh, no one is there for me, and um, I, I, you know, I have to do everything on my own, I'm not connected to anything, and, you know, a lot of people will speak about how, you know, when they're with other people, 
they 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 feel all these amazing feelings you know they feel love they feel this and that and it's like i felt those same things when i'm alone because it's like you feel them you feel them through yourself so even if you're with other people you're the one that's feeling them and experiencing them and so if you can feel them with that group of people then well then you can obviously feel them by themselves and so i i think it's just this skewed idea and you know i think this could be somewhat uh you know speculating but i i don't think that the world really wants people to to be alone because i don't think they really want us to develop our critical thinking skills to to be aware to be able to challenge things to to ask questions like these are all things that a lot of people will view as a threat to society that you're kind of taking on capabilities that that pe people think are reserved for only the the special few or the bill gates or you know the genius or you know and then and then they expect those people to make the decisions for them blindly it's like they only want to kind of running the show um and i think that's just kind of the reality um i don't think that we should all accept it that's just a really unhealthy path to go down i certainly haven't accepted that um but yeah i guess that's a bit of my take on those things that's a good take. I would say the same thing. Sorry, I've just got a door here. I, I would say the same thing in terms of people making assumptions about others. Like Elon Musk is a perfect example. I've had conversations about Elon Musk. And it's not that Elon Musk hasn't accomplished anything in his life, but it's important to recognize that he has done so by being a businessman. He's not an inventor. That's not what he does. Somebody was like, oh, he's the next Da Vinci. And I just asked, what, what has he invented? And that person disappeared. Right. It's because we see him as being really wealthy that we want to basically ascribe all of these traits to him, that he's brilliant, he's altruistic. None of that is, is probably true. It's just that we want to see it that way because that's what we want to see ourselves as. Right? And I always find that funny. Very early in season one, we were talking about uh, Tesla, the, the car company, and the fact that everybody makes the assumption that Tesla makes a profit selling electric cars, when the reality is that actually Tesla doesn't make a profit selling electric cars. What they do is they sell carbon credits to other car companies who create oil burning cars, and that's how they make their profit. So they're actually just selling the carbon credits to polluters, and that's where Tesla makes its money. It has nothing to do with creating electric cars. But we don't look at it that way. We don't want to look at it that way because that ruins our entire worldview that Tesla's going to save the world, right? And he's at the top of the heap. So surely he's the next Messiah, and we always want to do this. We always want to pass it off to someone else. They're going to save us. And it always ends up with us in trouble. Hitler, as much as nobody wants to give Hitler credit for anything, the fact is, is that he was really smart in terms of manipulating the masses. When he would get out there and do a speech, he would actually have people in the crowd just walk around, walking up to people and go, he's got a good point, don't you think? And then they'd wander away. And that was enough. All of a sudden it's like, oh, one of my peers thinks that this is a good point. I should pay more attention. And that was all he had to do was create enough peer pressure, enough of, a, of an assumption that the crowd was with him, that the crowd ended up being with him, right? Whereas our challenge is a little bit different because we don't want to manipulate people. We don't even want followers. We want people to stand on their own. We want people to be self-responsible. And so for us, the journey is so much longer. It's so much longer because it has to be rooted in something that has a strong foundation. It can't just be rooted in egotism. It can't just be rooted in fear or desire. It actually has to be rooted in the genuine recognition of what freedom feels like, which means that we can't teach it. We have to just be it. 
being can't be taught because as soon as you're teaching being, you're not being, you're trying to get somewhere, you're trying to change someone, right? And so immediately the distortion cuts out the entire efficacy of the message. And so you actually have to let go of the need to change the world because that's what changes the world. And that's a really tricky thing to take in because you're like, I want to see it happen faster, right? I want to feel like I'm in control. What the hell is happening? It's that need for certainty again. But without certainty and in responsibility, I only have what I can do now. And that affects the whole. So it really just comes down to building sensitivity for how much the rudder is changing the direction of our, of our journey. Yeah, I think it's funny because like, I think even a lot of what you're saying now are, are still things that I have to let go of being being totally frank like there are parts to this and we've talked about it before like there's parts and I, or maybe it was on a patreon call or something but like there are parts that i've sort of seen and this is all still like relatively new to me like i'm still working through a lot of shit there's parts where like i kind of see it but i still don't want to let it go and like i'll be honest about that like there are aspects of it that i don't know if i'm ready to let that go like even i th this is what i talked about on a patreon call was like seeing that having money is is a weight and have it not like any amount of money and there's like you know there there's a balance like with everything and i don't think i'm at a point where it's like i have oh i don't know what to do with all of this you know it's not like i'm anywhere close to that but there's a degree of course that our society doesn't want to look at where it's like you don't actually need more money and you piling on more money is only reinforcing the lack of faith that you have in yourself because you feel like you need so many safety nets because you lack faith and it, it that's what it comes down to and i i sort of recognized this like i don't know a month or two ago and it was like oh wow having a lot of money reinforces a lack of faith like whether that's like I don't know, the final thing to let go of almost, or one of the last things, especially in our society. But I was like, ooh, <laughs> uh, I see it. But uh, I don't know if I'm if I'm quite ready. And at the same time, you know, I'm not in a place where it's like, oh, I just I need like I'm still don't have it all like ready to go, like life set or whatever. Um but yeah, I think with, you know, talking about money, it's, it, it has to come back to recognizing like what you actually need, like where it's coming from and what things that you're desiring. And it's not to say that there's ever anything wrong with doing or buying or getting anything, but you have to be honest with yourself, I think. And it has to come down to sense of responsibility for yourself like why are you really doing this like what is the real reason being able to look at that look it in the face and be honest with yourself and having this thing whatever it may be creates another sort of false sense of certainty for yourself like oh if i can just get this then these people like me or then i'll fit in or then i'll be enough or or have enough and all of those things that I just said are all figments of your imagination. There's nothing you can do to guarantee any of that. And through letting go of all of that and what's left, which is closer to the truth of what you are, all of those things will more easily come to you. So all of the things that you're trying to get through all of these means, 
be it money or fame or followers or anything, which, you know, like with everything, I'm literally just talking to myself right now. All of these things that you're trying to get are directly fucking hindering you from getting the things that you actually want, from actually being free within yourself. And I think sometimes you just have to get beat over the head a couple of times with a recognition over and over. And sometimes it does take time because it took time to get it beaten into your head. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get it beaten out. But it's interesting. And it's something I think because there's still senses of, of certainty that I crave. Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and say that I, you know, fear nothing and don't desire certainty ever. It's certainly a hell of a lot more than I have in the last, you know, 26 years of my life before a year ago, but it's still not hundred percent there. But I think it's interesting, at least being able to talk about it and recognize it, I guess. And, and through that more and more, you see that the things that you've been striving for are only taking you further from getting the things that you truly want. I'm definitely on the, on the same page with that in terms of desiring things and wanting things and not even just physical things, but like maybe wanting to be at a certain place in life or having a certain relationship, you know, it's like, as long as I give my mind something to think about, it'll, it'll give me something that I could want or some next thing. And there've been things that I've been thinking about, like for a while, I thought about living here and now I'm here and there's still things that I want. And it's like, no matter what I get, I know that my ego is going to present a next thing that I can have that can potentially make me feel better or feel happier or more this or, or more that. And that's always going to be the case. And in the same way, like I can, I can recognize that my mind can always feed me a problem too. That like, we almost like having problems because we like to solve them at the same time. And in the same way that like, we like desiring things because then we like finally getting them, but then we like to chase once again. And so it's, it's like a never ending thing. And it's like, even recognizing that I still end up playing the game and I'm just like, it it's an interesting thing and it's so easy to get kind of caught in and there's almost like a like a weird pleasure that you get from doing it even when you know you're doing it and i'm not saying this is like a healthy mindset whatsoever and i'm kind of giving myself slack because i'm like ah, you know i'm young but then i'm like okay that's another illusion but um it's just like so much of the way that our reality is structured and all these things that are at our fingertips and even just like being able to pick up your phone and then instantly see something and be like, I want that. Or like some part of you says that you want that. And you don't even know if you actually want that, but you feel this, you feel the sensations of what it feels to, to want something. And, you know, you can mitigate the amount of things you want by just, by just simply applying self-awareness, which is something that I've done and has definitely helped me escape wanting a lot of things that a lot of people want. But I think experiencing the human experience is, is wanting things and is having these thoughts of, of wanting things and just accepting them. Because, you know, if you say like, I, I don't want that, or I don't want this, then sometimes you're just creating resistance and you're just denying the truth that some part of you wants it. And that's, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's better to ask, why do I want this? Do I need this? Is this really what I assume it's going to be? Uh, that's something that's helped me over the years because it is. It's totally normal to want things or fear things. That's part of the duality of our experience. You can't get out of that. I mean, I want a sandwich. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Why do I want a sandwich? Because it makes me a better person? Probably not going to have that sandwich because I'm hungry. 
I'm definitely going to go have that sandwich and I'm going to get totally absorbed in making the sandwich and be excited about the sandwich and eating the sandwich because there's nothing outside of that experience that I'm looking to identify with. It's the experience itself. Right. And so that that's a big thing is, is understanding that if I am trying to satisfy a fiction, I'm never going to. That's the only problem with trying to chase that satisfaction to feel better about myself. It's always going to be temporary. It's always going to be taken away. And this is the one thing that's helped me over the years in terms of letting go what I want. And there's been a list of things I've wanted over the years. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I tell myself they're altruistic or not. It's still taking me out of where I am now. And each and every time that I've let go of what I've wanted and then later on achieved what I've wanted, and then immediately started thinking about the next thing I wanted, I reminded myself, right, there was a whole journey to getting to this point that I wanted that I missed because I was too busy focusing on getting it. So I'm not going to do that for the next thing I want. I'm going to take my time and let things just play out. I'm going to enjoy the journey from A to B rather than focusing on B, right? And, and that's, again, that's something that takes time. It takes life is what Andrew was saying there. You know, it's got to go through this over and over, kind of beat it into your head. It's like, yeah, welcome to reality, beating things into our heads since eternity, right? That is the experience of living. And so if we embrace that, that's when we start to go through the rinse and repeat cycle of recognizing, ah, I wanted something that I honestly didn't really need. And it was because other people told me it was valuable. I didn't really think about it for myself. And then we end up getting it and we're no longer, and we're not happy for it. It didn't do any of the things that we assumed it did, or it does very temporarily. And we assume that, oh, it was the getting what I wanted that made me happy, not the cessation of wanting. Because that's ultimately when we are happy. But it takes a hell of a journey to learn that. I'm, I'm 43. I'm still learning that. It was just recently within the last year that I was communicating to Andrew that what I really want and I've always wanted for a long period of time is, it, is a chunk of land uh, that I can basically use to learn how to garden, build some solar panels, maybe start a little community and then branch out from there, start other communities in different countries and start you know a, a network of people who all work together. We can trade resources. We can form our own uh, shipping network, as it were. There's a whole bunch of things that I would love to do. And in the last year, strangely enough, despite the fact that this podcast is getting me closer and closer and closer to that point than I've ever been before, it's in letting that that desire go. It's in letting that want go and accepting that maybe I'm going to have to do some legwork for the next several years. Maybe I'm going to have to travel to places that I didn't plan on traveling. Maybe I'm going to have to meet a whole bunch more people than I intended on meeting. And maybe I won't get what I want. Maybe it's going to be totally different than anything I've ever envisioned. And that's worth it for me because every time I've wanted something and stuck on that want to the point where I got it, I had already changed. So by the point I got it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be because I wasn't the person who originally wanted it. Right? And so you have to let that go. You have to let go of what you used to find valuable because maybe it's not anymore. Maybe it's just a habit that you still perceive it as. Sometimes you don't get what you want, but you get something better or you get something that you need or you get what a future version of yourself you don't know yet wants, which you can't want now because you're not that version yet. But by trusting the process and going out and venturing into the unknown, all of that kind of figures itself out. I think that's kind of the beauty in it. When you just trust your intuition and just do what you're passionate about without focusing on the result, everything else happens. Absolutely. Because then not only are you getting an end result, you are becoming the kind of person who can appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I even think it's funny thinking directly about like this podcast episode and we had Eric on almost a year ago now. And it's like, as much as the podcast is, has grown and communities have been built and we've done workshops and everything, 
we're still having just having a conversation. Like it's still the same exact when you when you we could probably place the conversation side by side and you know maybe all of our flows have improved or whatever, but it's essentially the same thing. We talked about probably relatively similar, but also completely different things on that episode that may resonate with some people differently than this episode will resonate. It's like as much as things outside of it has changed, Eric's life's changed. He's in a new city doing cool stuff, you know, like all that shit. And like the podcast has changed. We've all changed. Like it's still just the conversation that it is. And it reminds me, Ray alluded to this just now, but like with the, with Ray's uh, YouTube video, discover transcendence, it's like at the end of the day, what do we really want? It's more or less to stop wanting and that's available in every single moment. But we think that when we're striving for this thing that we want, that it's going to get us closer to what we really want, which it does sort of, but we get confused into thinking that, you know, we want this car. It's like, why do you really want it? Do you want it for the feeling of, of driving it? Cause you absolutely love it. Like, that's awesome. Like that's probably a good reason to get the car that you want, but if you want it, to build up this idea of yourself as something more than others, something more than you are now. It's like, what do you really want? Well, to stop wanting, then you get it. And then you've achieved that. And then everything's going to be perfect forever. And you no longer want. But the, the peace, the happiness that arises is from stopping wanting for that thing. It's not actually having the thing and, and building the idea that is so that idea is so constantly turbulent that it can be built up, taken down. The car crashes all of a sudden. What does the idea of yourself crash too? All of a sudden, someone shits on it and they're like, dude, that car's so fucking lame. Like, look at my car over here. It's like all of a sudden, did that idea just, just drop again? Like, it's so fucking volatile. There's no way to guarantee anything about it in any, any given way. And you get it one year and then. Five years later, all of a sudden, there's five more versions of it that are out there that all these other people have. All of a sudden, is your value just like consistently dropping like the depreciation of the car? Like, is, is your value tied to the appreciation or depreciation of, of the values that you, that you own? Is that so much of how our society is run that that's how easily <laughs> manipulatable we are? That, that we think that the things are the things that derive our value and it, it makes you wonder but yeah it's not about getting what you want it's about you know the process of letting go of of the want of stopping the wanting and i think in that you can recognize that you can do that right now you don't have to and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with it but having the self-awareness to ask yourself why and truly ask yourself why and take responsibility for the answer that you provide or recognize in the moment and and being able to let go of the idea is something that can be built up or torn down in any way shape or form i just want to add something to that quickly because so one of my clients is a financial advisor fairly successful one he, he works in like the hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all of that with his clients but his clients as they start to approach retirement age they go through this problem where they don't know what to do with themselves they don't understand what life is all about if they're not working, if they're not trying to achieve this thing, if they're not, if they're no longer defining themselves as the CEO or something like that, right? All of a sudden they're just, you know, Joe Blow from Kokomo, who gives a shit, right? You're just another person in, in the street and you can't raise yourself up. You can try by saying, oh, I used to do this and I used to do this and a lot of them do, but it doesn't change anything. Whereas 
there was another client that he had. And this guy has been a multimillionaire at least three times in his life. And he's lost it all at least three times in investments in, in, in technologies and businesses and stuff like that. And each and every time he's lost everything, he's just been like, oh, time to do it again. And that was his whole attitude. Didn't matter if he had resources or not, because that's not what made it happen to begin with. He did. His involvement, his state of mind, his lack of fear, his, his attention on the present moment that he was in, his love of whatever project he got involved with was what made it succeed. So for him, losing money meant nothing because it wasn't the money that got him there. It was him, right? Whereas everybody else who thinks, oh, the money is what makes me me. As soon as they're threatened, they lose, they lose all composure. They fall apart because all of a sudden their, their fictitious control over what could happen in reality just starts to fall away, right? Whereas if you understand, again, you don't have control. You never had control. It, regardless of what you think you might have in terms of control, you can lose all of that. What would you do if you did? And that's where we really start to kick anxiety. This is what I used to say with my clients all the time. If everything you were afraid of happened, would you just curl up and die or would you evolve or would you adapt and make it work? Because that's the only question. And if your answer is, yeah, I'd adapt and make it work, your anxiety will start to fail. It will start to fade. Focus on that. Focus on the fact that you can adapt and all of a sudden you won't need to feel like you're in control. Absolutely. And um, just going back to the, the wanting thing, I was going to say that I think that the greatest moments in all of our lives come when we don't want anything. Because like, when we're wanting, we're like, our, our mind is active and we're thinking when we're thinking we can't, we can't be present. We can't be in, in the only thing that actually is, which is now. And so, and for a lot of people, they, they get their value by, by doing. So when they're just being, so when they're just being, they don't feel like they have much to offer. They don't feel like they have much value to bring to their table. So they have to prove themselves by doing something else, showing what they've done. But then it's like, then their value is directly tied to the past. So then it's like, they never have any value that is just in their being that is just, you know, in this moment. And so it's a, it's a constant battle to, I guess, kind of prove to themselves and other people that they have value in, in what they're able to do and what they're able to provide. And it's not that there isn't value in what you do um, or what you can provide, but it's like your value isn't inherently in anything that you have to do or become. It just is in your being that is always here, regardless of what you do. That was really well said. This is something that Andrew's, Andrew and I have said a few times that value cannot be diminished or raised. Your value is in your potential from moment to moment. That's it. So you're never actually achieving greater value. You're never reducing your value. You're just either a look, you're looking for or avoiding chances to express the value that's always been within you. That's really it. If you're looking for that value, then you're missing the opportunity to express the potential that's within you. You're, you're, you're operating from a state of lack. And so everything that you do has need and fear attached to it, right? Whereas if you are fulfilled in yourself, everything you do just has your utter attention on it for the sake of it. And that changes the outcome, right? But it's so important to recognize that. And I've said this to numerous clients, you're never not doing something. Even if you're not doing something, you're changing. Even if it's just the process of your brain having a chance to recontextualize all of the lessons from your life to get some somewhat of a clearer picture of who you are and what's going on, that's, that's important. And it can only happen in periods of rest. It is very important to give yourself the chance to absorb everything that you've been experiencing. And so you're never not doing something. 
even if it feels like you're not doing something. And if you feel like you're not doing something, that's probably what you should be not doing the most. Even, even believing that you're not doing something is just another conceptual label, right? Like even, uh, you might be able to hear from my voice, I've been a little bit under the weather, but I was thinking, and I was like really processing it, especially yesterday. I just like walked around the city for a few hours, sat down on some benches and just kind of like, sat there and watched stuff and really just tried to feel the feelings. And I recognize like, I'm not actually sick. I just feel things inside of me. Like I don't have to label it with this thing because as soon as I do, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm a person that's sick. And then it's like, does that just perpetuate it? Or could it be that letting go and just feeling it for what it is, all of a sudden there aren't additional layers placed upon it. And could it, could it be that those additional layers hinder our body's functions from being able to process the activities necessary to heal. Could that always be the case for, for everything, whether it's a physical illness, a mental illness, could even labeling yourself as someone with a mental disorder create layers that hinders the infinite intelligence that you've always been's abilities to let go or process the things necessary to almost rid yourself of that situation. Like every time you label yourself as something, it, it builds layers that restrict you from healing. And what's fascinating is because we are so afraid of uncertainty that those labels are what we cling to. As soon as we feel a certain way or act a certain way, we're like, oh, I'm an overthinker. Oh, I have this disorder. Oh, I'm an angry person. Oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'll never get better. Oh, I've had all these injuries. I'm super injury prone. Oh, all my eyesight's shit. Oh, I don't eat healthy because I never have. I don't like vegetables because I never have. And it's like all of these things are all fucking rooted in the past and they're all ideas. And could it be that any label that we place upon ourselves, even you know, the names that we're given, the personality that we're given, especially the personality, not that we're not, not the personality that we're given. We're given a name. We're not given a personality. We build a personality, but we, to a degree, I think we choose a personality. Could it be that all of those labels hinder us from being free? They're all a prison. Every single thing I just listed is a fucking prison that we entrap ourselves in that plagues our society. The mass state of psychosis that Eric mentioned earlier in the episode could it be that that's what we're experiencing? We are literally imprisoning ourselves with the ideas, with the labels, with the identities that we hold on to for a false sense of certainty because we're so fucking afraid of it. Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. I'm just going to throw in this quick example. Um, so interestingly, there was uh, in the book, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind by Deepak Chopra, he talks about this situation where there was a clinical trial done with uh, placebos to see if they would have any impact on cancer patients. And they were told that this is a state-of-the-art cancer treatment. This is going to help. So one of the gentlemen actually ended up having complete recovery. His cancer disappeared. And I think it was a month later, maybe a few months later, he was at home and they were doing a report on that study on the news where they informed him that it was a placebo. His cancer came back. He died a month later. And it was because all of a sudden he wasn't thinking about, about himself the same way. He wasn't perceiving his odds the same way. Uh, in a book, Cured, they also talk about 
numerous examples of people having spontaneous remissions. And it's always related to a massive change in how they see themselves and how they live. It's always a breaking of their habits and their habitual perceptions, always. So it really just comes down to how much of our illness is directly related to the person we've attached ourselves to or to the idea of the person that we've attached to our, ourselves to. And we know stress creates it, it creates difficulty in healing. We know it does. You know, the, uh, something that Dr. I think Joe Dispenza talks about is that like if our thoughts can make us sick, they can also heal us. And like, I, I really do think that like words carry energy. And so it's like, we're imprisoning ourselves in this negative energy when it's like, it's not like we have to escape words or language or thoughts or any of that, but we can use it in a way that serves us. You know, we can use it in a way that, that promotes healing, that promotes growth and, and, and understand that, you know, a lot of people will say things about themselves jokingly, but it's like, they're, they're putting themselves down and then, you know, over time, they're subliminally like believing that like, that's who they are. And, and, and so they're then living in that, that prison. And it's like, it's, it's always, always manifesting. Uh, there was also like a, like a, a water experiment with um, Dr. Masu, Masurimoto, something like that, where like, he would, he would like, put like gratitude into like a crystal or and like they all form differently. So it's like the way that we convey words and the way that we express ourselves and whether or not, you know, we believe certain things like that, like that has a, like that can somewhat determine how we feel and how we go about our life and how we interact with other people and how we see ourselves. And because a lot of people don't take the responsibility and the power that they have to consciously almost program themselves with, with certain ideas, they kind of let the world do that. And, you know, that comes right back to that mass psychosis and this, you know, collective herd mind that we have, because most people just kind of adopt what they've been told. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I found really interesting about that water experiment that you were talking about was the fact that the person that they asked to put an intention each, into each water droplet before it was photographed yeah. was a monk. They actually asked a trained Buddhist monk to meditate on the specific intention for each of those things. And so that person through a lifetime of getting out of their own way, whether it be through being in the monastery or just isolation, whatever it might be, had less distortion. Your average person, if you were to ask them to focus on any one intention, would be all over the map. Within five minutes, they'd be going through a thousand different thoughts, just having a difficulty focusing on one intention. And this is, this is the purpose of meditation, right? This is the purpose of, of getting out of your way and doing the inner work. So yeah, it's incredibly telling, not just of the impact that we have, but also how clear we need to be about that impact. Like how much damage are we causing simply because we're not focused? We're completely all over the place, almost all the time, right? We don't even know the impact that we're having on our lives most of the time because we're too busy being swayed by fear and need. So we're just running through the circles, trying to feel better, not realizing that each and every step we're picking up consequences that we may, we may not be aware of. And so it's, it's a really interesting study. I, I love that study. And the fact that we are 70% water says volumes about how much we are impacting our own bodies with each and every one of our thoughts and intentions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think too, with, with the monk and, and the lack of distortion, I'm sure his intentions were not for something. It wasn't like he was creating this intention for, you know, him to do a good job of doing the intention and therefore it turning out in a certain way that he had a preference over, you know, it was just, he was the intention. He was embodying the intention and that's it. And that's what 
we so often get caught up in. And that's all, you know, all meditation is. I said it, I think a couple episodes ago, but it's doing the thing for the thing. You know, that's what it comes down to. It's not, we're not doing this episode so that it performs well, so that people enjoy listening to it even. And that's, even that's something that I think is difficult for people to let go of is like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to help people. I, I hope that this helps people because even that, you're not doing the thing for the thing. You're doing the thing for XYZ, for something else, not for it. And so therefore, your energy is not 100% there. And therefore, the impacts that are had are not as impactful potentially because you have you know most of your attention maybe in, in the experience, but even a few percent on something else or more than that, oftentimes significantly more than that, oftentimes more than 50% on something else, if not like fucking 90% of your attention and energy are for what it's going to lead to, you know, you're doing this for the outcome, typically, with the desire to improve the idea of yourself to increase or, or make better the idea of yourself. But that idea of yourself is always an illusion. And it's always going to, there's always going to be a different idea in everyone's mind. And there's no way to impact it in the way that you desire because that's relying on control. So you're acting in a way, trying to get an outcome that's literally impossible, but we keep trying to do so. And all we're doing is reinforcing lack in ourselves because we're trying to be something and therefore we're not enough right now. And we're also not able to give all of our attention to the thing we're experiencing, which is life as life. So every time that our attention is on something else, we're not fully living, you could argue. And then it's like we get to the end of our life and we've only lived, you know, 10% of it because although we lived the whole thing, we we're only 10% there and 90%, you know, in the illusion. So, you know, that's that's all it ever really comes down to. Be you can call it meditation, you can call it just attention, but that's all it really is, is just being attentive to what you're experiencing for the experience, not being attentive so that you get better at, you know, being attentive or, or get better at, you know, because now you're someone who is more attentive most of the time, you're better because you can meditate longer and you don't have as many, you know, intrusive thoughts or whatever. It's just like, no, it's just, it's just it for it. And as long as you're caught up in trying to build the idea, you're back in another prison. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I ran across a, a video the other day by a fitness trainer, and he was making uh, the argument that it's not about how many reps you do. It's not even about the weight that you're lifting. It really does come down to the attention that you're giving the muscle group that you're working on. How in sync are you with what you're doing? Because a lot of people go to the gym and they'll just, they'll just muscle through it, right? They'll just hurry and they'll do that whole thing. And they're like, ah, I'm feeling great. But how much attention actually went into building that muscle group? How much of your attention actually went into the movement itself or, or your uh, focus on the movement, your awareness of the movement, right? Because that all makes a difference. Otherwise, your, your shoulder might not be aligned properly. Otherwise, you might not be standing correctly. You might hurt yourself, right? All of these things matter. So it's not just going through the motions, right? It's very much the intention you have in going through the motions. It's the attention that you're spending going through the motions. It's your state of mind as you go through the motions. And this has been probably the biggest lesson in my life. And the reason that I find things as easy as I do when I tackle them, because I'm not thinking about myself. I'm just involved with what I'm doing. And 
doing that for long enough, you start to re realize that every one of your biggest successes always happens when you're not trying to get to it. It always happens when the importance is on the thing you're doing. Always, right? And so, yeah, I'm 43. Like I said, I'm, I'm way older than you guys. I've just beaten my head against that wall so many times that I just don't doubt it anymore. As soon as I start trying to prepare in my head, like, oh, got to feel like I control. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? You're ruining your walk. You still have 15 minutes before that thing happens. Just be where you are. And it's not like you're telling yourself that anymore. It's just that you recognize, right, I've been through this before. I've seen this consequence. I recognize this thought pattern. And that's just responsibility and awareness, as always. Just being with where you are, just to to be where you are. And actually, that's exactly what I was going to say, that all those byproducts and successes and great things that come often come when you're just fully engaged with what you're doing by, by, by just being where you are. And going back to your example of like working out, it's like you like become what you're doing and that's, and that's how you perform your best. And those are the people that, that also see the results are, are people who just love being with the movement and not seeing where the movement goes or not counting the reps, but just intuitively being with, you know, each step of the way as you're making the movement. And it's like, when you're not present and when you're not with it, that's when you risk an injury. That's when you risk something going wrong. And, and, you know, a lot of people fall prey to that because, you know, they're so focused on the next thing, focused on what they're doing after the workout, they're focused on the next exercise. They're focused on if they're going to get the results on, on everything that it isn't what they're doing right now. And it's like, I'm going to go on a walk after this podcast and I'm going to fully be with every single step and I'm just going to enjoy it. And I, I know my mind is going to wander, but I'm just going to look around and recognize where I am because that's the only place that I can really experience from. And it's always here. And it's always now, as Andrew always says. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Fuck yeah. Yeah. With the, uh, I, with and just with the lifting example even like people even call it ego lifting which is so funny because we think of it like oh we're just trying to you know do a lot and like lift a lot of weight and and all this stuff and it's it's all about the idea of ourselves like we're so focused on the idea of ourselves being more getting bigger getting stronger looking better that we're actually not allowing ourselves to get the most out of the exercise because we're so caught up as much as we're caught up in looking better. We're also caught up in like, Ooh, how much am I lifting? Like, Ooh, am I, how many reps am I getting? And it's like, I've even thought about this a little bit because I know Eric, you've always been into working out and Ray, you work out and I've worked out for a long time. And like, even, even the idea of reps and like something like progressive overload, I was just thinking about this, that people say like, oh, you got to do, you know, more reps each time or more weight each time. But you almost could like not even count the reps because it's just an arbitrary number. Like your muscles can't count the repetitions. It's, it's really a lot of what it comes down to with mechanical tension. And like, I've done some research in all of this, like you can do as many reps as you want, but if you're not actually pushing yourself essentially to failure, then it's not going, it's going to do something, but it's not going to do as much as it could. It's not going to optimize that, you know, sort of growth or, or strength building. So really it's like at the end of the day, if you do 20 reps, if you do five reps, if you do 10 reps, if you don't, if those last couple reps aren't super fucking difficult, aren't 
uncomfortable, they're not going to stimulate growth. And it's like with everything. If you stay comfortable all the time, if you sit in this sense of certainty, you're not going to grow. You're not going to do or, you know, again, like you're not going to become more, but not in the sense of, you know, the idea of yourself becoming more, but like actually growing, like true growth that happens. And it's funny how we always avoid discomfort. We always avoid uncertainty, but, you know, even with lifting weights, like if you don't actually push it all the way to failure, you don't know where failure will be. You have an idea like, oh, last time I got, you know, eight reps. So now let's try and get nine. You kind of build this sense of certainty of like, let's get to nine. It's like the reality is maybe you could get 13 if you let go of holding on to that sense of certainty. And then you would actually get to a stage that's very uncomfortable, go beyond the sense of certainty that you had, and then grow from that. And so it's funny because I know we all work out and I don't know, people can just resonate with working out. It's a good analogy to use for, for growth, uh, for obvious reasons, I guess. But yeah, there's a lot of crossover, how applicable all of those concepts are to life, but you really, you gotta, you gotta push into the discomfort. You have to go beyond your feelings of certainty in order to stimulate any amount of growth in anything in life. Oh man, I just got to add to that quickly because it's so true and it's not just for lifting or anything else, but so everybody here, for example, uh, offers coaching in one capacity or another. And in your journey to being a coach, you're going to have days where you feel like you're on the ball, that you've got something to offer. And then you're going to have other days where the client leaves and you'll feel like you didn't actually have any impact on their life in that day. And it's important to recognize that you are just expecting, you're expecting a result. You're once again, walking into it with an idea of your skills and what should happen at the end of it. And you don't know. The fact is, is that that might be exactly what that person needed to facilitate something later on. It could be that that person just needed the safe space to feel relaxed. They didn't need some deep, insightful conversation. Perhaps they just needed to get out of their way for a bit or to, to witness you having a bad day yourself, right? And so for every coach that I've ever trained, I've always said, if you're always certain that you're doing great, you should probably question yourself because the best coaches are the ones that feel uncertainty. They're the ones who get in the session and they go, I don't know if I have anything to offer here. And then they go through their awareness to find it. They're not just reaching for the book. Oh, I think this was in chapter four because then it's not authentic, right? So if you're gonna get coaching from anybody, it should be from somebody who is struggling to wonder if they're a good coach or not because at least then they're giving the attention it's important to them. They're not just going in going, ah, I'm an awesome coach because I've had you know, this certificate from this school or I've went to this class for this long. That doesn't tell you anything. And I know my wife is a clinical counselor. Going through school, her and I often had the conversation that going to school does not teach you self-awareness. There are a number of counselors out there who just want to graduate so they can feel like they know more than you. That is not going to help you. And it's going to come across in the session, right? It's just like going to a gym and getting a physical trainer who spends all of his time telling you how buff he is and how many things he does on his own time and doesn't spend any time actually helping you with your problems because it's all about them, right? So for coaching or anything else, for being a human being, for relationships, it's important to recognize that your vulnerability, your uncertainty, that discomfort, that's what makes you valuable. That's what makes you helpful to somebody else. That's what builds a relationship. Yeah, I mean, there's a healthy amount of doubt that, that is helpful. And it's like, there's so many people that are so sure of themselves that are so confident in, in what they know that they're not really to, 
they're not really able to explore with another person. Like they're not able to approach a session and be fresh because they're just presenting themselves as this authority, as someone that has this skill set or who has figured this out or who is an expert. And, and so like that, that's something that I try to talk about that. It's like, it's like seeing it for yourself. It's like seeing it in the moment, being doubt, being skeptical, being able to question your own approaches. Like maybe something was successful for you then, but it's not successful now. Um, and you know, that that's also something that I think a lot of people can't really be honest with themselves about because a lot of people that have these, a lot of people that are egotistical and sort of think they're better than other people, it's because they lack that self-awareness because if they had that self-awareness, then they wouldn't feel that way most likely because they would have enough time with themselves to say, huh, uh, wait a minute, maybe I don't know everything I think I know. And maybe I don't have to know everything I think I know. Maybe I can have a, a honest journey of re-evaluating where I am in every single moment because that's that's the truth of the matter. I also didn't realize that in this flow of the conversation, it got really, really dark. And I didn't realize that I had no lights on. All my light was coming from these big windows. Now I have no lights. I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, wait, something looks off. It's really dark right now. So I apologize about that. At some point in the episode, you're just going to see a, a decline of light. No problem. You're, you're shining enough light just with your personality and your insights, man. At the end <laughs> of the day, that's all we need from you. And, and I really appreciate it this dialogue as it's gone on for the last hour and a half or more, because I love these conversations, as you can tell. And it inspires me to know that you're out there, Eric, that you're on your path, that you see this with the clarity that you do, and that you're uncertain, that you're questioning yourself, that you're, you sometimes go through a little bit of doubt, because that, again, that shows how genuine your journey is. Um, we are going to have to wrap up this episode very quickly because I know Andrew has a hard stop. And of course, we're approaching the two hour mark. And if we don't stop before that, we always go over. But I did want to just take a moment to say again, I really appreciate you making the time to be here for this podcast. And I want to ask you quickly before we wrap up, you have a nutrition bar line. Where would we find information about that? Because I'm very curious, and I know given your intention and given your clarity that you're obviously offering something that you think is going to help people in their lives, that's going to add something to their level of health or, or their level of clarity or their level of nutrition. So I would love for you to share a little bit about where they can find that and what it is they're looking for just so they can go and check it out. Yeah, so um, you can literally just go to ambinutrition.com, A-M-B-I. Um, our Instagram is ambinutrition. Um, we're currently, we currently don't have bars, uh, because we've gone through kind of a relaunch and we're going to have new flavors and the supply chain is really, really messed up. So let's just say that getting ingredients in house is really difficult. So we're a bit behind schedule, but you know, we have all our information on the website. You can see the bars, you can see the flavors, unfortunately can't order them right now, but soon. And, um, yeah, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I love these conversations. I feel energized right now. I'm going to be walking around outside with a smile on my face and everyone's going to be like, what is this guy on? And it's going to be like, I'm on life. I'm on conversation. I'm on flow. I remember after the last conversation I had with Andrew in the city, it was like close to midnight or something like that. And I'm like, why do I have so much energy? Like, what am I about to do? Like, I'm just going to eat and go to sleep. But, um, you know, these conversations always, um, always just uplift me in a way and, you know, it's easy to feel like you're thinking about things on your own and that you don't have people to share these things with. So being able to, you know, talk with you guys is is always um, a pleasure. And I, I really appreciate it. And, and I will always be a guest as long as you guys have me. 
Absolutely. Love to hear that, man. And yeah, just, it's always awesome chatting with you. I know it's funny thinking back to that last conversation we had the first time we ever met in person, but, and with that energy side of it, I think it was what, I think we walked like at least 10 miles, maybe 11. Cause it was like, like (laughs) (laughs) it was absurd. And it was just like, it was just like nonstop flow of conversation. Like I was like, Andrew was not there for most of it. It was just, things were flowing and it was fucking awesome and super fun. And I did want to bring up one last thing that you mentioned with the, the one-on-one or like coaching or, or having any semblance of sort of an authority interaction. Not, I don't like the word authority, but you know, that type of interaction. And it's interesting when people come in with a, a shitload of confidence and it's not to say that confidence is a bad thing, but oftentimes it gets confused with this idea that, oh, I know all these things and therefore I'm confident. But as long as you rely on what is known, on that knowledge that is always rooted in the past, always based on past situations, you're cutting yourself off from the flow of reality because the reality is not existing in the past. It's not existing in the known. It's existing in what is. And through that, that's the only time you can have the sensitivity to actually interact with someone in a free manner. And part of where I'm sort of recognizing this from is, is from the book you recommended that I read freedom from the known by Krishnamurti. The first book I've ever read from Krishnamurti and Eric recommended it to me. And obviously Ray's recommended Krishnamurti to me a bunch of times, but Ray's or uh, Eric specifically recommended that book. And I've been picking at it. I, I think I'm only maybe five chapters in or so, but yeah, it's, it's powerful stuff. And so it's funny that the last thing you mentioned, I think, was directly related to that because so much of our idea of ourselves and that sort of false sense of confidence that people build themselves is relying on the known. And unfortunately, that cuts you off from, from being free because you're still relying on an idea. Those ideas are always imprisoning. And even if it builds this sense of confidence that you know our entire society you know, longs for, we all want so much confidence and bravado and all this shit but like there are there are times and places for everything and and rigid confidence in everything that you do maybe isn't always the best thing especially in a uh, coaching environment where it's not about you it's about them but as long as it is about you you're not going to be able you're not going to be very helpful to them at all because you have to let go of that idea of you in any capacity to be that mirror for themselves that, that they truly need. But just to reiterate again, love having you on Eric, really appreciate everything you're putting out there. You're a great dude. I'm looking forward to the next time we're, uh, we're able to meet up, go on another nice long walk, have a conversation, maybe, maybe at a future dualistic unity retreat, but, uh, yeah, we shall see, but yeah, thanks again for coming on, man. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. We love having you on. Like I said, you're an inspiration. I I enjoy watching the level of energy that you bring to what you're doing. I enjoy watching the intention behind it. You're very genuine in what you do. So I haven't had a chance to meet you as yet. So I definitely do hope that you can make it out to one of our retreats because it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm even crazier in person. And as Andrew knows, I have a lot to say when I'm not podcasting. So it'll be a good conversation. We are going to wrap up here, of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. We will see you again for episode 13 next week. Bye, everyone.